everybody. Welcome back to the Punk Till I Die podcast. I, of course, have Tom, and somewhere is Neil. How are you doing, Neil? I'm doing okay. It seems like forever since we've recorded one of these, mate. It's been since, uh, was it before Christmas was the last one we did? Well, you're kind of ruining it because, remember, we're going to go out of order slightly, so you're you're sort of blowing well, this, Neil. You'll know, nobody, nobody knows. I mean, but it's been, yeah, it's been a couple. It's been a couple weeks. We sort of yeah. sandbagged in December, in the middle of December, and then we took actually took a couple of weeks off to hang out with our families and whatnot. So yeah, it was cool. Well, plus we had a bunch in the can, right? We had a like, yes, five yes. in the can or something that we had to put out. Plus the <laughs> the end of year one with Ricky was so goddamn long. <laughs> it was very long and very controversial. So we'll, was it? Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to Contro- that. I don't know. Controversial. A few people want to. Ch- a few people want to strangle Ricky. It was that. Oh yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> But that's all right. Yeah. Listen, yes. you can, of course, reach us at punk.idie77 at Gmail or <laughs> punk.idie podcast on Facebook. Punk.idie Facebook group is where we have all our fun and show off our new records and whatnot. Yes, sir. So, and our new sweatshirts and whatnot. So, anyway, Neil, if I told you that I got, that, that the guest today yes, sir. has put out records by Antagonize ATL, The Queers, Iggy and the Stooges, even 90s luminaries like uh, Everclear. The, li- the list goes on and on. Honestly, I don't have the list in front of me. I wish I did. But the, the amazing amount of records this guy has put out, I think you'd truly be blown away, right? You'd be like, wow, this guy's like the Hugh Hefner of records, right? And I would be even more blown away. Or maybe you would even be more blown away to know that, A, he's the guy that made our sweatshirts or helped make them. I know them, that. I know and that, B, he cut my hair, yes- he cut my hair yesterday. <laughs> That's nice. Well, no, what I was going to say was the only catch is he's got this amazing discography. The only catch is it's cassettes. What? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we have with us today a guy who, when I talked to him earlier, he described himself as a, I can't remember if it was a politically incorrect Mexican Jew or Jewish Mexican. One of the, I can't remember. Good God. But he is Mike, he is Mike Weinberg and he is from Sexy Baby Records. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. How are you? Good man, we're glad to have you on. Uh, like I said, you 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 well, you, Neil kind of already ruined it, but man, you you are a hardworking dude, and you do a lot of cool stuff. And we've actually done some business with you and been very happy with it. I'm like, we got to give Mike a chance to come on and kind of promote his various hardworking stuff around the Chicago area. So, anyway, man, we're glad to have you. Thank you. So, uh, so this is my first time. So, be nice. Is it really? Gentle. I was yeah, still I wondering about stuff. that. So you don't you haven't done a lot of publicity stuff. No, uh, it gives me a little bit of anxiety to do this stuff. So, oh, does it? But I know, yes, but here I am. Uh, well, I got all dressed up for you, and then it's, here I am by myself. Got all, got all dressed up. I want to know That's about funny. this. What are you talking about? I'm dressed up. I'm literally, the only thing I'm wearing is a strategically placed sock. That's the only <laughs> thing I'm wearing, just in case my kids come down. I got down a suit on, man. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Oh, so, oh, yeah. So that is a shame that we're not doing audio. Video, you mean? Yeah. Doing or, or I'm sorry that we're not doing video. Yeah, but I have a big stain. Right. I have a big stain on my shirt, so I really wasn't really wasn't looking for. Uh, I was trying how to do the cat face. That's, that's what. <laughs> hey man, if you if you if you want to be on video, that's up to you, my friend. That's that's all good. Well, so so my question for you, Mike. So like, how does the how does the Jewish Mexican thing work out? Do you like do Day of the Dead well, and light a menorah? Are you do you like honor both of your sort of. Uh, are you are you are you unreligious or do you sort of honor both of your heritages or oh how do you God. how do you go about uh, doing that? I don't know. I really don't talk about it. I don't know. I just do what okay. they want. For me, it's just like whatever. Like I mean, 
They'd be like, uh, if people have questions, they go tell them to check my bank account. It's not very great. So, <laughs> Good God. So your bank account is more Mexican than Jewish, is that what you're saying? Very much so. And I'm not, I'm learning since I, uh, I moved to two years ago or so, a year and a half ago out to the suburbs. So, uh. I learned I'm pretty good at landscaping, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this show went off the rails in a hurry. You're good so... God. He fits right in. Well, you know, you know, Neil, I love to have a, sl- a religious conversation once in a while. And uh, it's, uh, well, it's, it's, it's uh, f- was your, who was Jewish and who was Mexican? Like, mom, where was it mom and dad? Or, and, and yeah, my mother's side was uh, Mexican, very Catholic. My father's side was the Jewish side, and they kind of kept it a lot quiet. Grew up in a small farm town. I grew up in Illinois. Ah, gotcha. They didn't really and it's like it, it's something that you really don't find out about until I guess like my grandmother passed away, and then you find a bunch of stuff about your great grandparents. You know what yes. I mean? And it's kind of one of those things where like, oh, interesting. <laughs> I didn't really know. Like we don't talk about it. You know? So. Mike didn't. Mike didn't even know he was Jewish until he started like five companies. Yeah, I really did. Then all of a sudden, yeah. I was like, "Oh, no one." I, well, that's where that came from. Of course, I was say your Mexican side could hustle too. They're hustling people. Everybody's hustling. They're all hustlers. So, so tell Tom, me Tom, move, move on, please. Where You're the right. hell, where okay. the hell you going? Too soon. Too soon. Getting Good pretty God. deep in the woods over here. Getting pretty deep in the weeds over here. <laughs> We've only been talking to him for five minutes. We're going to cut this out. Cut it out. <laughs> that's that's the thing. That's the beauty with us. There's no editing, so you know, don't don't oh, uh, badmouth anybody unless you want them to hear it. Okay. So. So how do you how do you uh, how uh, sexy baby records get started? Well, sexy baby got started. I have a business partner back in the day. Like I did a bunch of labels. I mean, growing up in a small farm town, we have VFWs, basement churches. Oh yeah, all yeah, I mean all this stuff. The dude, I grew up in into. that scene. I grew up in that scene. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like you I mean eventually you know playing crappy punk bands and you know I mean, I'm way in the garage punk like the '90s garage punk and. I was a young kid and all my friends were like 15 years older than me. And, you know, they worked at tattoo shops. My old roommate, I was in high school. My old roommate, uh, I don't know if he owned it or worked at a record store. He owned uh, Co-op Records. He was one of the shares of, like, at least ran the one in my town. And and which, uh, which, which town was that, Mike? That was in Galesburg, right outside Peoria. And oh, way so, down south. Yeah, okay. it's, well, I call it Central Illinois. It depends who you talk to. Peoria, Central Illinois, and then sometimes Springfield, Central Illinois. <laughs> So it really depends. Well, I worked you know with I, mean? I worked with a guy from Peoria, and I swear he had a southern accent. So you're right on the edge there, right? Oh boy, yeah. My, <laughs> my wife says I have a Midwestern accent. My new thing is saying, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." That's Dude, my new thing. <laughs> I lived in Wisconsin for ten years. Once in a while, I let a little bit out myself, so it's all right. Yeah. So you mean you play in bands after a while, then you put shows, and you try to put out records of your your band, you try to put out friends' bands. Fast forward, I did like four labels before Sexy Baby, and my good friend Germ, he plays in the Modern Day Rippers and Brick Brickwall Vultures and a couple other bands. He's played Rotten Fruits. You know, I mean, the Rotten Fruits were on Criminal IQ Records, and I used to help Darius out a, a little bit with when uh, he was doing the Lions Den and Punk Rock Fridays and stuff, and I helped him out with you know some of his book tour bookings of his bands and stuff, and you know, blah blah blah. Well, he wanted to put out a new record. He had a hard time finding a label to put it out so i was like well let's create one and his thing was he saw he's get really smashed on stage and called by sexy babies i don't know if anybody knows germ um i think he's a comedian now that's his new thing is he's that right run. yeah i don't know yeah he goes by germ ripper but uh i don't know if germ wants to tell this to anybody but germ's a cop and he's a great dude he's the most friendliest dude ever he's way into horror movies but 
he's highly attracted to people that look like George the Animal Steel. <laughs> Dude, I'm glad, I'm glad he and I have never met, ain't you? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, Tom, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, lucky for me, I'm I'm a little bit overweight, but I'm not, I'm like borderline of his thing, so. Uh, <laughs> you got the hair. See, I'm, I got the baldness, too. I definitely, I'm, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Know. If you eat turnbuckles, you're his type of guy, you know, but germs... <laughs> You put hot sauce outside, do it. Yeah, he actually came from so Michigan Jim, too, I believe. He was a he was a school teacher from Michigan. Was he from George Animal Steel? Yeah, George Animal Steel was. Yes, sir. Oh, wait. Yeah. Nice. So he wanted to put out his own stuff, and I helped him get his stuff started. And like, I just kept building like a catalog behind him of stuff I wanted to put out, like small local stuff, and you know, just have fun with it. Like, I I just never had fun with it. Like, I was always in debt, always in hold, trying to put out these all these bands, taking on more I can chew. Now, were you, in, were you in college at this point, or were you working, no. or what? So, Sexy Baby started 2011. I think I was still working at the advertising company I used to work at. Where was that? So, uh, it was a place called Shock, and before it was Shock, it was Ambrosia. It's been around oh, since I, the 50s. Oh, geez, I know that place. Yeah, I know that place very, very Is well. Is in the city? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, okay. we're, we had, like, three locations in Chicago, and we always had offices wherever our clients were and we you know my first account working for them was working for home depot and towards the end you know we had oakley and nike and a bunch of accounts i don't know if i'm supposed to say this but i guess it's 10 years past i can say it now they can't fire you they can't fire you now mike yeah i know (laughs) did did you ever did did you ever buy a yellow tony hawk deck from somebody because i sold a yellow tony hawk deck to uh, somebody that worked at shock (laughs) oh really yeah i did wasn't me yeah so and i mean I was always kind of the guy in the background who I didn't want people to know I was involved. And I did a lot of the legwork with Germ, and Germ was kind of the face. And his thing that shows is he would always find George looking, George Animal Steel looking guys and go and just yell sexy babies at them. Oh, look at those sexy babies. Oh, sexy babies. That's fucking bizarre. So that's how the sexy baby term came out. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, you had four labels. You had four labels before this or whatever that you did when you were younger. They probably all had better names than that. But that's oh, the yeah. one that stuck, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, I was talking about, there's a lot of releases I want to work with that I have access to. And I, I mean, there's some honky-tonk stuff I want to put out. I'm like, how the hell do I put this out on Sexy Baby, honky-tonk stuff? And it's kind of interesting. It's just like, do I start another label and start this over again? Like, do I, I mean, it's exhausting. But uh, is, is somebody, is, I mean, is everybody, ever, anybody ever asked you, like, what's sexy about babies? Yeah, oh, that's kind of Gary Glitter. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he so has that. He'll answer that. <laughs> yeah, is he still on the run or is he dead now? I don't even know. He went to Africa for a while there when he was on the run. Nah, he's in prison, <laughs> he's man. Played. He's in prison. Yeah, they got him. Oh, finally. <laughs> but uh, yeah, people today, I think, are outside. we're starting to go outside our circle. It was like a Chicago thing, and it was like a Chicago North Side label type thing. Like a lot of the, like the street brats crowd knew who we were. Um, we didn't, you know, have a lot of South Side of the Fear City guys, but we were really, I was really friends with those, some of those guys, like well, acquaintance with those guys. I used to book a lot of the shows for the Fear City guys when they came to the North Side, or, you know, I used to do some shows on the South Side here and there. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, that's kind of how it started. And it's like, you know, I find artists that, you know, had a quite, had some sort of people I knew. You know, I was telling uh, Neil about how I used to do tour bookings and, for a lot of stuff. And I mean, when I wasn't doing tour booking, I was booking shows locally. I was doing about 25 to 40 shows a month in Chicago. And then I got oh. burnt out. 
I got to say uh, one a day, man. That'll burn you out. Yeah, you know, I mean, that was even before Ambrosi and Shock. You know, I mean, it was just like it was. I started hating music. I started hating my favorite bands to work with. You know, what I mean, I was like, I remember a couple times where I got into bidding wards with myself, but the agent was just jacking <laughs> up the price, and eventually, I just, I just, I kept the business going for a while just to have guys employed. And after a while, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm just exhausted. I don't want to go to shows. Like. I get up early in the morning. I think at that time I was working in a warehouse or working in a cooler or something, doing that stuff. And any money I make, I just put towards putting out records. And it's exhausting, you know. So, hey, should we? Should we, you know, should we play a song? Wait, I'll tell you what. One more, one more thought before we okay. do, because you talk about you want to put out honky tonk stuff on Sexy Baby Records. I don't really think that's going to be an issue, dude. Honestly, because you know, like go back and listen to like Conway Twitty or something. Literally like 80% of his songs are about having sex with 16 year old girls. I think oh, the yeah. honky tonk crowd. Will, I think the honky tonk. Yeah. Crowd they might eat okay. that up, man. They'll be all over yeah, exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry yeah, Lee. Like, Jerry Lee. will love it. And like, as, and like as long as you don't hear about, the like, story about the George animal steel. Yeah. Like you were talking about people getting weird about sexy baby. I think that the newest, like lately, like we have a lot of clothing we have within our bands that like people like, get kind of weird like oh i don't want a sexy and then a baby name attached to it then i was like don't buy it then you know what i mean good luck yeah. you know what i mean it's just like well, it is, I, mean, it. I mean obviously a baby you know the people our generation hey baby you know baby baby doll baby was not a i right. mean obviously we know we know what it means so okay yeah. what do you what are we gonna play what are we gonna play Neil? we gonna play something that, that mike's got coming out or something already put out or what are, what are we doing you're the dj i guess holy shit the, put it on me um, I tell you what, let's spot. play. Let's play the Vindictives first. Um, tell us a bit about this Vindictives um, song that we're going to play, "Joining the Circus." Oh man! So I hassled Joey for probably a decade, probably a decade more. You know, he was had, at the time. I think he had money shot, and there was Joey Vindictive in the personality crisis. He was trying to do. He was trying to do all this stuff, and I just eventually, when I stopped bothering him for music, he came up with four songs, and I'm like, here you go. And I was like, okay. Before that, he gave me, I mean, I got tons of his closet uh, merch. You know, we had tons of lookout stuff we were selling at one of my old label websites, you know. Uh, and that's pretty much how it came out. Eventually, it was just like I quit hassling him for 12 years, and here it is, you know. So, <laughs> now, so biggest, this is Vindictives. Go ahead, sorry. This is the Vindictives then, or this is what this is a this vindictive is the Vindictives, yeah, yeah, the Vindictives, yeah, yeah. So and vindictives the, pretty much has always been Joey and Johnny. That's like they've been, and they always have people kind of come and go. Like Mike was there, and PJ was always there, as I understand. You know, what I mean, it's just like the Vindictives right. were the Vindictives and Apocalypse Hoboken were probably some of my favorite ever Chicago bands. And like I was a pretty much a lifer, like for Vindictives, I would do anything for them. I would love, I love them to death. I think their lyrics, you know what I mean, are brilliant. I think they're clever. You know what I mean? It's just like something that I always fell in love with the Vindictives. And, you know, it was just, I always wanted to do something with them. And it was kind of hard. You know I mean, certain labels owned the back catalog of stuff. Some of their labels that bought their catalog, um, they had to go through a process to get legally get them back. And that's when you started seeing some of that stuff drop off Spotify, you know, seven years ago. And Joey started reposting the back catalog of stuff. And hmm. there's a lot. There's a lot of interesting stuff there with Joey, but that's you know that's Joey's place to tell everybody about a little bit about like his other labels he's did in his record store and his experience too. And, but uh, I, I, you know, I was a, I was also a huge Vindictus fan. I'm gonna get I'm gonna make you give me his email or something when we're done. I'll hit him up see if he wants to come on and talk to. Him. I don't know if he's a talkative type or not, but yeah, I was a big you know I, mean? I was a big Vindictus fan myself. Um, 
But the other thing is you mentioned Apocalypse Hoboken. I actually saw them play like a VFW hall up here in the mid nineties. So I actually like them too. Is tell me something. Like the band the Mons that's around right now, the Chicago band. Yeah. That's some of the Apocalypse Hoboken guys, right? Oh, I don't know. I know Carl's in that band. I talked to Carl I haven't talked to Carl in a while, but Carl's in that band. He used to always give me their records and I haven't seen Carl forever. I think Carl's got hair down his shoulders now, lives out in the okay. suburbs. Okay. But the funny thing, the funny thing is, I actually have a live recording of one of 600 Apocalypse Hoboken's reunion shows at the Abbey Pub when they played at Oblivion, and I was actually going to try. I was working with them to put it out on one of the other labels, and I, it was too long for a CD. It was like two or three songs too long, and it was like, "What song do you cut?" I don't want to cut any songs. To me, like the songs are all amazing, and it was just like, I don't know, you know. So. You know, I guess we're going oh. subject with ridiculous, but I mean, like, I actually have a live recording of them at the Abbey Pub before it burnt down. So, oh. no, yeah, I, it's that's a good old Abbey Pub. Man. I, well, because like I said, it's it was just a random occurrence. I don't know why I was there at that VFW Hall that night, but it was yeah, it was Apocalypse Hoboken and Sidekick Cato, another uh, Chicago. Oh yeah, Chicago institution. But anyway, I'm sorry. All right, Neil, play play, play this thing, DJ. Let's okay. This. So after all that, we have the Vindictives with joining oh, yeah. the. Oh yeah. Joining the circus. I have come to realize I am not fit for this life. I will now be taking charge. I will now be living hard. Oh, I'm going to join the Vindictives there with joining the circus. Now, wasn't um, Ben Weasel originally in the Vindictives? At some yeah, point? so so he, he made it go back. Right? Yeah, he yeah. was he was the guitar player. Um, him and Doctor Bob uh, were guitar players, and if you can find like the original masters and the original seven inches, you I mean I might have a lot of my information wrong too. I'm I'm losing my memory as I get older. I don't know if it's part of the family thing, but. Uh, as I understand, you know what I mean? Like if you find the original masters, it was on one of Joey's and Johnny's other labels after VML records, they did the original master CDs. I think it was limited to hundred copies and, uh, has cover cards. You know I mean? From, you know, I was like, as I understand, it's the only song that Ben ever wrote with them, but when they released it on lookout records, they had to go back and re recorded it all or however they did it or just overdub Ben's stuff. There was some issue conflict of, 
things there, rights there, money or something, or oh, I don't wow. know. It's not, that's it's not my business. That's punk rock right there. I was on a mission <laughs> for a while there, Mike. You know, I was a big fan of those Clearview Ramones albums. Yeah. So I was I was on a real mission to have like all the original artists from those. So we've had Jughead from Weasel. We've yeah. had Dr. Frank. We've had Joe Queer. I mean, like that—that's the missing. Joy Vindictive is the missing piece of the puzzle. They did Neil. They did uh, Leave Home mm-hmm. for that yeah. series. Yeah, they took a, a lot of, of they took a lot of liberties with it and actually made a lot of people irritated. Yeah, I got a couple copies of that. I got like uh, I don't know if it's like a thermal print, but Chris from Lookout, who eventually owned Lookout, he did yep. something on that. He like did like a thermal print, and I got like hmm. uh, the one in front of Kitty Land. I got a couple of reissues of that, you know. Leave home. Well, I guess I guess that's party time from assholes, ain't it? I don't know. I'm getting old. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, a good one too. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's good times. Look out, you know, like they eventually got released in. They had that new artwork on it for the CD for the guy, the lawyer guy. Uh, what's the label in California? They did a bunch of ska punk stuff too. But you know, what I mean, I don't. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, so you, um, so like that vindictive thing you're putting out. It's four songs. Or what? What will that be on a tape? Or you do a seven inch? Or what are you gonna do with that? I don't know. You know, what I mean, last I talked to Joey. Joey's every so often. Joey wants to sell everything, and then he wants a crazy amount of money. And the hard part is the reality of it's. I mean, I don't know who's gonna throw it down for money for all his back catalog. Um, well, and especially when they don't. I mean, he doesn't. Does he play live anymore? I mean, if you don't, no, it's hard to sell stuff. They play only like fifteen shows ever. You know, what I mean, like their Chicago Institute and. I would love somebody to put it out their stuff just as a fan. Um, I would love to put it out, but you know, like I said, it's hard. You know, what I mean, Joey's uh, Joey and his wife Jenny they used to own a like a like a burlesque type thing over in Belmont, right behind mm. the antique store. I don't know if you guys knew that. And Johnny and his wife uh, used to work over there too and run it too with them. And they did that for quite a few years, nineteen oh one maybe or something like nineteen oh one gallery or something. I don't remember. It's been a while ago. Mm. They shut down. Um, but like, you know, they, Joey doesn't, Joey, I always had a hard time getting Joey out. Like I was supposed to, a long time ago, I did stack that I was coming through town and they were, they put, did a show at Culver Lounge and Joey, I was trying to get Joey to come up and sing some songs with Vacation Bible School who are big fans of Vindictives and those guys, the Vacation Bible School is an amazing local band from suburbs again. And they've already did like seven inch with Shop Baker, a split with them doing Vindictive songs and it was hard to get Joey to commit to anything. And then, you know, supposedly Joey came out to that show and I never saw him that night, but people were mm-hmm. flying in thinking, and we called it Dicta's Bible school. And uh, I don't know, you know, it's hard organizing anything with Joey. And mm-hmm. that's always the downfall. I guess the downfall of any bands is hard to organize, you know? Sure. Interesting. Huh? Well, so yeah, obviously, you know, he put out his own stuff. You remember VML Records out of Chicago, Neil? Yeah, they did a lot they, of those live at uh, they did those live at Fireside Bowl, live right? Series, that's yeah, right. And they yeah. did the Vindictus back catalog. The very first Screeching Weasel album, I think, the only version you can get very easily is the VML version, the self-titled, which they don't really play anything off of anyway. But yeah, anyway. So anyway, so 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 VML oh, was sorry. started by the Vindictus, though, right? That was Joey's. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Okay. It was like Vindictus Music Limited or something like that. I think it was called. Again, so like me going back to like any comments I say about this, it's like me as a fan mm-hmm. and just overhearing 
Joey and all like what was happening around me. So my information will always be right, but it's like me as a fan just observing and asking questions like anybody else. So you know what I mean? That's gotcha. as as I understand you're not, like you're not speaking for Joey, yes. We get that. I'm not That's speaking of Joey. It's just me as a fan and trying to put out records of his stuff for years. You gotcha. know, so 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 you start when you started doing sexy baby, you were doing records, you're doing CDs. How did you get into like the cassette niche? Oh, so like I've always done vinyl. I've always bought vinyl when I was a kid. Like when new records came out, like vinyl was always six or seven, eight dollars. While CDs were twenty dollars. You know what I mean? It was just like yeah, right. yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that yeah. was that golden era where records were cheaper than CDs. Yeah. Yeah, and there was I mean, if you put out CDs and vinyl back in the day, like you were doing more than other labels were doing. It's kind of weird that like nobody wanted to take the risk on putting out vinyl because like it's not less the cost of pressing vinyl is the cost. It's everything going into making the parts that, you know, makes the vinyl or the jackets. You know I mean, I mean, I always tell people like that, like a lot of pressing plants now are, you know, stopping orders or raising their minerals up to a thousand units. And for a small indie band, a thousand units are a lot, you know. So I, I'm really frustrated with the vinyl pressing because a lot of these plants who like like live the last like couple decades off of small indie labels like having them press records and keep them afloat while all the major labels like you know like capital and universal i think it was universal it had four factories are pressing vinyl their own stuff and eventually they closed all those factories down because they weren't making vinyl anymore and those four factories were all across the united states and like pretty much these vinyl pressing plants were with, with like the indie stuff and the small local punk stuff and all that stuff and it's like right now i feel like a lot of the vinyl like if you're a part of the vinyl like you have an account with somebody or you you did the indie stuff for so long you're getting pushed to the side for all this major stuff again and the frustration no, no. of that so sure. like it's just like well you know what i'm gonna do some cassettes i'm gonna do some you know I mean, maybe hell i'll do some cds i don't know i mean it's just like it's very frustrating to deal with the vinyl industry getting pushed to the side when we help keep you guys afloat. Kept them afloat. Yeah, that's actually very interesting. Really because that. I didn't think of that aspect of it because we've been bitching about this for a while now, but I didn't really consider that, I must say. Go ahead, yeah. Neil. Sorry. I mean, no, I mean, I, they're, they're going to cut their own throats is what they're going to do because they're, they're living like um, like this is going to last forever. And, yeah. you know, like, like you said, they've pushed all the independent artists who kept them alive for years. They've pushed them to the side. And eventually... Yeah. The next big thing's going to come along, and they're going to be looking to you guys again, and they're going to be alienated to small labels. And I, I don't know; it just seems like a very, very strange business model that that they've that they've uh, that they've taken on. And uh, I don't think it's going to work particularly well for them in the long run. So it's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame all the way yeah, around. Like, yeah, like maybe like November, October, a lot of these plants stop taking new orders until April to get caught up, and the plants that didn't stop taking new orders. Literally, if you place order now and they're still taking the orders, your stuff's not getting pressed till next year. Right. And it, it, it's like, it's very frustrating. It's like, well, you know what I mean? It's like, I can take control. Like, I used to always make my own parts, my own lacquers. I used to send them to Mark Richardson until he retired here locally. And Mark was amazing. And he would, you know, knock them out within a day or two. And then ship them to Mastercraft out in New Jersey to make the plates or wherever it may be. But it's just literally now people just like saying, well, I don't know. These other guys over here will say they're going to commit to X amount of units. So, you know what I mean? Good luck, you know? Or 
you know what I mean? Like I said, if they keep taking orders, you're pushed till next year, you know? So it's frustrating. You know I mean, like bands, either you got to plan ahead and these small indie labels, you know I mean, there's, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's just, well, it's frustrating. It's almost, it's almost, it's, it's a little different for you with a lot, a lot of what you're doing. Cause you're doing a lot of reissues. So that's, that's almost less of a big deal in that, okay, you're playing a year ahead. It sucks that you got to wait a year. But a current artist who's trying to get out there and tour or do whatever, you can't wait. You know, the, the current artists can't wait can't wait a year for their – it's just – it's insane. I don't, We got another friend who said, we're bringing CDs back. We're not doing this anymore. We're sick of playing these games. I don't know. I don't know if it will work or not. Will, yeah. I wish him luck. Yeah, like even Mark from TKO, he owns his own – I don't know if he owns 100%. He's probably like an investor. Like all these other people I used to know too, like they own like a portion of these like vinyl presses and they bought a press and they're pressing stuff and they have their own stuff to put out and they don't even want to put it out because they have these like vinyl PVC, you know, pebbles set aside for another order. So they can't even put out their own band stuff. You know what I mean, it's just like, it's literally, and then when your time comes to get pressed, like you're just cycling, waiting through, it's literally, well, you placed the order for red vinyl pebbles you know i mean pvc pipe pebbles it's like well we can wait three more months till this comes in or we have yellow right here you right. want yellow so so as a consumer the consumer is getting pissed off because you know, I mean it's like things are constantly changing getting delayed and it's you know it's frustrating well, and if you, know you pre-order you know a lot of these colors you pre-order a color and you get the i don't know i got i got one well, i just got I just got one from a small label the other day, Neil. I got it from uh, Mom's Basement, nice little label out of Pennsylvania or something. Mm-hmm. The new Jason Seven Inch, and yeah. it's got a green sticker on the, or it's got a purple sticker on the bag, to indicate the color of the record, yep. and it's a green record inside. Yeah, I, I got some, I got something similar from Mom's Basement. I mean, I don't and care. I, and I, I can't blame, no, I can't blame him. But I, you know what? And this talks to a, a bigger issue, which you, we should probably talk about actually. On we could, we could have a whole show dedicated to this because everyone likes to blame Adele and Adele's thing certainly didn't help but there's a whole bunch of different issues that have come together here with you know to to, to cause this issue and Record Store Day and Adele and you know bands putting out box sets um, of stuff that's already been out there and then shortage of PVC I mean there's a whole bunch of things that have come together to make this you know to make vinyl such a problem and um it, it's really it's really interesting you saying that about the about the different colored pebbles and stuff it's it's really interesting because if everything was black i mean and it's partly your fault too if everything was just black well, things would be easier if things were yeah. back to the way it was things would be a hell of a lot easier so it's one almost thing their they own don't fault. Talk, one thing they don't talk about either is so like i mean you used to be able to cue things up so like you go to your you know wherever your account is or whoever you work with and be like Listen, I went 500 copies made, you know what I mean? So we're at the queue, and they're like, oh, I'm at, you know, the standard time back in the day was like four months from start to finish. And it was like, okay, four months, I can get the labels to you within like a month. Now they're not even taking your, they're not even queuing things up unless you have your jackets done, your labels done. And there's such a problem with like jackets now getting shipped to like the label or directly, they want it shipped directly to the, to the pressing plant because there's any problems in between. But the one thing you don't know, so if I say if I want 500 done, and if I'm a bigger label and I do a pre-order, I think it's, something's hot, the vinyl pressing manufacturing plant makes their money off of how many pieces of plastic they smash. So like when they're, they may be doing small markups on jackets and labels and lacquers and plates and all this stuff because they're outsourcing all that stuff usually. 
but in actual return, they're actually making money off of how many they smash. So if I put an order for 500 and, you know, three months come or like three and a half months come and like, listen, 500, I don't need 500 more. I need 5,000. Well, guess what? What happens to everybody else in the queue? Guess what? You're all getting pushed back. Ah, yeah. So they're already set up for the one. Yeah. Oh. And like vinyl itself, like, like I don't remember. It's been a while since I looked at numbers for this, but like vinyl itself, these pressing plants are only making a dollar or two off each piece of actual plastic they're smashing. You know what I mean? Everything else comes into it is the plates, the lacquers. Like if you want a seven inch, then you'd be like two fifty per side for your lacquers. You know what I mean? For your you know all that stuff. You know the labels. They're like one hundred fifty bucks. Their jackets are seven fifty. So like in the end, the vinyl pressing plants are only making like a thousand, two thousand you know dollars for off of five hundred copies. You know. Give or take, you know. Well, and so that's why because the labels aren't really make labels aren't making any money either. I mean, I can't. You can't imagine like how many labels have said to us, "Yeah, we we maybe break even on the vinyl." Yeah, like twenty bucks a pop, and you're just breaking even. That's crazy, right? Yeah, it, like for me, I did a lot of seven inches ten years ago, and I I hate seven inches. I went through and just give mine to all record stores. Like I don't even buy seven inches anymore. I I kind of hesitate to buy seven inches like I do ten inches. I feel like the 10 inches get lost in between the 7 and 12 inches within yeah. record stores. Sure. Um, you know, I know a lot of people like 10 inches, but for me, I do a lot of retail. I don't do a lot of mail order for my label. So I always got to keep that in mind when doing stuff. But the, also a lot of bands don't understand this is not every pressing plant has a 10-inch press. Mm-hmm. Just like some don't have a 7-inch press. Like here in Chicago, Smash Plastic, I may be wrong, but... I think they only do 12 inches. You know what I mean? It's like something you got to keep in mind with that too. You know, same with like they were doing five inches a couple of years, like oh, I more than five years ago. Yeah. I hate you know, those yeah. Ludicrous. <laughs> you know? Ludicrous. Yeah. I think, so, Ra- I think yeah. Rancid did well, a three inch. Yeah. Yeah. I have a Joy Ramone. I have a Joy Ramone five inch. It's like you can you either play it on your record player or use it as a Christmas tree ornament. But <laughs> any, anyway, it's a Merry Christmas. I don't want to fight. Yeah. That. But, it, but, but it's, but it's funny. The other thing people tell us, and you could probably speak to this is that, it basically costs so close. The price is so close on a seven inch to a 12 inch. that there's really not much point in doing a seven inch anymore, which yeah. I tell you, man, I, I'm having a little sticker shock with the 10 inch, a $10 seven inch because oh, dude, I used to buy them off tables for two and three bucks for years. Dude, ten, 10 inch. I was looking at the new Dickies single yesterday. The Dickies have a new single, like uh, Gary Glare yeah. or something or other. Uh, uh, from, yeah, I saw that. From Cleopatra. It's 15 bucks for a seven for inch. A over a seven inch? Yeah. Holy cow. Yes. For a two, two track inch, seven you know, inch. Two bucks an inch. <laughs> Fuck me. Cleopatra right, takes listen. care of their bands, though. That's the biggest thing, though. So you're making you, the bands are usually, I'm not going to say everybody, but a lot. Cleopatra does take care of their bands well, in good. advance. That's so good. So, I mean, in the end, they are getting paid a nice advance well, on that stuff. I, so. I figured there was a reason the queers made a record over there because he always said, I'll never do anything with. You know, I said I'll I'll never work with anybody but Mike again at uh you know Asian Man ever again. Yeah, and, and he's making a record for Cleopatra. But all right, listen, let's play another song. What's next? What's next, DJ? Um, let's do. I'll tell you what. Let's do um something by D Cracks. Um, a lot of people had this as their album of the year last year. So uh, why well, do what, you t- what do you the, talk up D Cracks a bit? Yeah, hmm? what's Mike's relation to D Cracks? Yeah, my relation. I said, hey, I love your band. Are you talking to me, Mike? Yes, or you Mike. Yes, you Mike. You Mike. Yes, I just. Actually, you know, my good friend of mine, Sean, who, you know, he helps me a lot with labels and stuff. He does stuff for finds bands. And, you know, I mean, I don't know any bands after 96, honestly, to be true. I, I, <laughs> Weezer, Pinkerton, I just found out about, you know. So, you know? Well, you were, you were 
you were better off. Uh, so, I mean, the D-Cracks, I knew their name. I, actually, the funny thing is I didn't know they changed their name. They used to be, they used to be called something else a long time ago, and I knew their old name. But I was just like, say, hey, man, I love your band. I love what you guys do. And I was just like, what, do you a cassette? And they're like, sure. And then, like, talk to Eric over at Pirates Press. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And here it is. That's, you know what I mean? And look, so, Eric, so, what, so this is the newest, is this from the newest one then? We're going to spin something from, Neil? The uh, uh, yeah. Serious Problems? Is it Serious Problems? Am I right? Serious, serious issues, serious issues I issue. believe. Yes. Right, don't turn your heart off. Yeah, don't. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So yeah, this is "Don't Turn Your Heart Off" by uh, D Cracks from 2021. They're from Austria, it's, I believe, right? Austria, yes, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they used to be called the Cretans, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So the funny you story know, about these guys is customs. We actually shipped cassettes to them, copies for their show, and it's set three months in customs. So if you're actually looking for your record and you live overseas from the U.S., talk to your customs. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but, so, anyway. so, I'm, I, so I, I know I, Neil and I are always fascinated, at least I am, by the sort of kind of nuts and bolts of things. So... Like with the cassettes, you are licensing titles that are already out. So you have to go to the label or the artist or whatever and say, "Hey, we want to license X amount of cassettes." Is that how it starts? Sometimes, you know, sometimes you just go through the, you know, pretty much controls like the publishing or you know the administration who controls their publishing or the band itself, the label. Like we were talking to a really, I have a couple of friends I grew up with who used to work for drive through records back in their like early days. And, you know, they worked for Victor records for like 12 years. And now they work over at another label that I won't mention, cause I want to drag his name into stuff. But 
I grew up with them. I mean, my, my, my shitty punk band I started when I was in high school was like his first band he ever seen live. And he's put out zines and he was a ska punk guy. And, uh, he had, his car was a hatchback and it was called the sky mobile or something like that. But he was like, you know, trying to get us to put out some cassettes of the bands over there. And he tells us to talk to their management and their management's either for it or not. And every, every issue is a little bit different. You know what I mean? It's just, it really depends. You know, it, everything's a little different. So, do you have, do you have the means of production with cassettes, or are you essentially the means of like, production? Yeah, do you have the means of production, <laughs> or are you like, uh, like what you call like a general contractor, where you have somebody making your cassettes, and then you got somebody making your covers, or how does it, how does it work from a nuts and bolts perspective? So we actually get our cassettes made in Canada. Um, oh, jeez, can't give American workers some money. No, I'm just kidding. I know, and the funny thing is, actually, our first cassette we ever did was. Funny, because I'm convinced it was made in Canada, but it was through a broker who used to make our CDs. And it actually, the communication was very poor, and it took almost like a month and a half longer. And I just feel like our cassette order wasn't good enough, you know what I mean, for how many cassettes we wanted to make versus how many people were making CDs and vinyl. So I was like, okay, you know what I mean? I just kind of found somebody else and developed a relationship with them, and it's been great since. Um, the Canadian, you know, communication with our the, you know the, the manufacturer over there i guess you know see mm-hmm. i would my my thing with that is i would i'm surprised the shipping back and forth isn't prohibitive that it makes you know that it makes it too expensive just because man foreign shipping i know it's only canada but that's crazy right yeah it's not bad um you I mean the license is a little bit more you know what i mean if you license certain stuff um but with the interesting thing is is like you gotta think about this so if you're a broker you're adding your cost into it already to make money off it. They're getting, you know, some, sometimes they're getting cheaper prices. Sometimes they're getting the same price you're getting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the, at least if I'm direct, working directly with the manufacturer, I can actually find out what current inventory is until sitting three months into an order and finding out they're out of electric blue or they're out of yellow or then it just changes gotcha. everything I'm working on. So. Well, and, you know, it's one of those things funny because, you know, I'm not into cassettes. Neil's not into cassettes either. He's definitely a pure, a vinyl purist. I'm a little more open to yeah. to CDs, listening to my car and stuff. You like but, the 8-track, Tom, don't you? 8-tracks, that's right. But I can <laughs> oh, tell. But, but, I mean, Mike puts in, I mean, these are nice-looking cassettes. They're nice. You know, you can tell he put some effort into the packaging. Like, they're really uh, coordinated, and like, usually the cassettes are colored, and they're just, it, it's just, you know, you can tell you do a good job on it. Yeah, my I good friend. They're like transformers. That's how I look at it. <laughs> Sorry, you got you to gotta coordinate them. So I would love to know, and I wonder, I don't know if you have any insight into this, because once you sell them, they're gone. You have no idea. But I wonder, do you do, you do download codes with your cassettes, or you do cassettes only? Yeah, I do a code inside of it, and then you're getting an instant download code, you know, instant download when you purchase it through mail order through us. But if you buy it in retail, there's a download code inside of it, too. Tom, I have to say, I, I have wonder... to say, Tom, from from, from the, all the questions you're asking, it's almost like you you're trying to set up your own cassette label yourself. And you're yeah, trying to pick up, you're trying funny. to pick his brains. Honky tonk. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny, because when my bands were coming together in like the early mid '90s, you could a, a CD was a dream. Nobody was doing a CD. Some bands were doing seven inches. Like bands could team up and do a split seven inch or something. But um, I mean, our first couple releases were cassette only. You know, that mm-hmm. was all we could afford. Well, that's, well, you, and you did it yourself, I assume, right? You just recorded it and then just dubbed um, it, right? Well, no, we had a guy come in one time and do it in the basement, and we and one, you know, I did some four track tapes that were halfway decent. But was was he Canadian? No, was just, that's the question. No, we were not Canadian. <laughs> hey, 
but no, I'm not, I'm not, I am not going to start a cassette label. I just, uh, it's funny, you know, because we ask that at certain other record label guy. Remember, Neil were asking him questions. He's like, "Why are you asking this?" I'm like, "I don't know. I just I'm sort of interested with the, you know, I'm a working guy. I'm a blue collar guy, and I'm always sort of interested in like the nuts and bolts of it, you know." Oh sure, no, and I think everybody is actually because it, you know, especially me growing up in the '70s, the whole idea of labels and pressing vinyl that was something that was so far outside of the realm of normal people that I couldn't even imagine it. So to hear Mike just talking about oh yeah we set up a label and we're doing this and we're doing that it still kind of blows my mind a little bit that he was just well, so you know open to like doing all of, of that just when he feels like doing something he just does it right i mean yeah. it just it just seems impossible to me you know still you know i think this is i think a lot of bands like you I mean we always say that bands i mean why do you need labels anymore when you can put out your own music and i think a lot of bands like sure you know what i mean like i have so like <laughs> Another reason, like, over the years is I learned that the smaller the local band is, the harder it is for them to understand, listen, hey, you sold 10 copies in 20 years. You know what I mean? There's no money, you know? Why, like, the bigger band, the bigger bands are like... That's like my bands. Are you talking about my bands? (laughs) Yeah, I'm telling you. (laughs) Uh, But, like, the bigger bands are like, hey, just get us copies and we'll make some money. You know what I mean? They're they're more confident in things and they, they understand. But they also, too, if you... So, like, I had a friend's band that was local, and the funny thing is, is he actually, a small town outside Peoria, Brimfield, he, we used to always book his band, and I swear his band was like a Blink-182 ripoff band. There was nothing wrong with that, you know what I mean? But he was one yes, of the yes, more wealthier, <laughs> the yeah, more wealthier guys in the neighborhood <laughs> who could afford a PA. So we'd always book his band so that, you know I mean, ah. he could, you know, we have a PA for the VFW Hall, you know? So it was... But he actually manages Weezer, I think Fall Boy and Green Day now, and it's just wow. so crazy to think of. But going back a little bit in between, his band was signed to a, a, a Victory Records for two albums. They did really well. They, I don't think they sold that many albums, but Victory Records dumped a lot of money into them, and, and they probably never ever made any money past their advance money, honestly, with Victory Records. Best know my business, but. What I'm getting at is after that, they went ahead and did like a Kickstarter or whatever it was at the time. And I think they were trying to get like eight grand or something. And I think they ended up raising like 13 or 15 grand. And they never would have done that if it wasn't for all the money dumped, Victory Records yeah. dumped into them. Well, you know what I mean? Let me ask you about that a second because Victory Records always gets such bad press. No, I mean, yeah. you, you would you would know better than me. I mean, were they, you know, bad guys or whatever? Or were they, was, was, it, was it all on the up and up? I don't. You know, the funny thing is, I spoke very highly of always Tony from Victory mm-hmm. in a weird way because I think about all these labels, like people I know that started labels and different bands, and some did really well for a while. And how can you keep a label going for 30 years and provide insurance and have a staff there? And, you know, I mean, my, I get boxes boxes made from the guy that lives the floor below victory Hmm. and i think chuck from jump up records is down there too in that building as well and it's it's one of those things that just blows my mind that you you constantly were finding income and building brand you were building a brand and building bands who are nobodies just by being on your label and the weird thing is i like in the early 2000s i have a lot of good friends who worked for victory and i mean clint from organized crime he you know he had amazing label 
that kind of was like, you know, I mean, that found a lot of these bands. And the good thing, I think Victory at one time signed an A&R guy or hired an A&R guy and it didn't work out. He signed like five bands and then the bands did anything. But the one thing I liked about it, it was that I always heard was that pretty much you could always have a band there and everybody would listen to it and decide if they want to bring them on or not. Because you know, I actually booked a show one time with a, uh, a day to remember and across five Aprils. And I, like, I used to book a lot of shows back then in Chicago. And like Victor Records would buy like 10 tickets in advance and bring their whole staff out. And sometimes they didn't show up, mm-hmm. but they would always come and look at bands constantly over and over based on that. Mm-hmm. And it was always interesting to watch that. You know what I mean? It was just like, I think in the end, like, yeah, you know I mean, bands didn't get paid supposedly, but you look at some of the bands who went back there, you know I mean? I know like, I think it was Jamie from Hapery who actually, you know, was one of the reasons why they put security locks on their doors. You used to be able to just walk up to Victory Records and walk right in and they put security locks on it. But you know I mean? Other bands, you know, look at Thursday, they went to Island Records and they came back, you know? Right. And I think that says a little bit too, but I think in the end they found out they're like, hey, maybe all these guys are almost all the same. Maybe you know, we're all the same. You know, hopefully I'm not the same because you know, I mean I'm not aware on the same level as any of these labels. But I do it for fun. You know, what I mean I enjoy doing it. You know, it's just. But I think in the end it was like they were a business and they were trying to pay their employees and they're trying to pay themselves on top of making music. And I always thought that like bands made most of their music from made most of their money from touring. And you still see it today, even though you can't tour with COVID. Like music's free. Music's been free since the nineties. It was free when you know, I mean people you know, you see people back in the day make like cop- copies of the CDs or cassettes and then they get sued because they realize that just because you buy a CD, you don't own the music. You don't own it and it sucks, you know. But I mean it's just the law of it, I guess, in the end. But music now is used as a promotional item. If you don't have music available, you don't bring somebody to your show. You know, I mean you have to have that connection. It's a promotional item at this point, you know. And what you see on vinyl today, a lot of people complain about vinyl, about shipping and mail order. Well, like part of the fun was going to a record store and, you know, buying, you know, browsing through all the record bins and buying something you kind of didn't want and kind of did want. You know, I mean, it was part of the fun, you know, hopping around at record stores and, you know, it was an experience. And I think you people lose that with mail order, you know, it, it sucks. Mail order used well, to be I, fun. I agree you know? 100%, but there's also something amazing about coming home and seeing that package sitting on your front porch. <laughs> yeah. and, then you, and then you open up and you complain because the corners are bent. And then in the end, yeah. the label has Tommy knows off. you very well. No, that's not me, dude. I'm a, I'm a cheapskate. I buy this. Yeah, that's true. That's me. Like, oh, that's the true. cover's a little off. Yeah, yeah. for eight bucks. There yeah, you go. Not, yeah, that's me. Me that. True enough. But, you know what I mean? I think in the end, it's it says something like for you know, I mean, see with Epitaph. I know Epitaph has you know coming on you know through different waves. Now they're like kind of licensing and you know Weezer Records and Social Distortion left their like management label and they're putting out records on their own label now. And like Epitaph is controlling, helping run it all through. And I, I think in the end, yeah, you don't need other labels to do this stuff, but you also want to use the resources that labels have with like press releases, PR. You know, just the mail order alone, if you're a bigger band, sure, you can hire somebody to do it. But then you're, you're taking one person on for your payroll, you know, and keep in mind, you got to keep that person on payroll. You think somebody's going to come and work for, you know, like pennies or free records to mail all the stuff and have to deal with like the mail order headaches of corners being bent. And where's my record is <laughs> sitting in yeah. customs for the last two or three months. It's yep. really a headache, you know, and it's exhausting. But you look at these other labels who have made it and it, 
I mean, I do applaud him somehow, you know, for doing it in one way or another. But I, regardless, Tony kept calling me Mark. I, I think I'm done with that guy. <laughs> for years, he called me Mark. I'm just at like, stop calling me Mark. At least he, like, recognized you. I mean, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. You should have called, called, called him to, Tommy. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I tried to get a job over there because a lot of my friends told me I should go try to get a job over there. And uh, I, I didn't get the job. I actually took a job working at Shock and Ambrosia instead. So it's like, it's like two blocks away, so. Yeah, it's, it's funny. As far as the victory thing, like, I don't really have a strong opinion about it because there were a couple of bands that I remember threw a big hissy fit. One of them was, like, Streetlight Manifesto, I think, that just was yeah. having all... And was the other one... Was the Data remember the other one? Data Remember was, was one of them. They left, and, they, I mean, they came with a lawsuit. And actually, before when that lawsuit became public, I actually asked my... Talking to my one of my buddies over there. I don't know if we met for lunch or whatever, because... I don't know. I was like obsessed with record labels when I was putting out records and, you know, still putting out records of no name bands. And I would check out these labels website every day. I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at this artist. They have a new artist, but there's no, you know, upcoming release. There's no info about them. And you would like kind of research them and find them out. I was like just constantly obsessed with looking at what's going on and seeing what pops up on the website before it actually comes out, you know? And it, it, I don't know, maybe it's just my fascination with it all. And, but that's what I did. Like I would go to all these labels constantly almost like every other day and just see what try to see what's coming out before it comes out friday through a newsletter you know wow well but it's funny because and I, I, victory used to distro some cool like hardcore and street punk bands i used to order from them once in a while but their bands never did much for me they had a couple yeah. of decent hardcore bands back in the day but like a day to remember might yeah. be one of my least favorite bands of all time yeah, they were really I, nice guys when I booked them, and then, like I said, they were on another label at the time, and they were their only like big hit at the time was like a Kelly Clarkson cover, which I think sake. they did really. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, all right. I, I was gonna, you know what? I was gonna say we should move on to your next business, but let's play another song. And I got a couple more questions <laughs> about Sexy Baby, so let's play another song, DJ. Okay. Um. Yeah. Let's go do one of these ones I've never heard of before. So thirst. Uh, thirst. You can't say this fast. Thirst things first. Um, tell us about this one. So this is Mikey. I guess he works over at Punk News, and they were just a fun band. It was like a, they remind me of kind of almost like a new wave eighties, I can see early two thousands. It was just like I, I mean, kind of dancey, like you know, a punk pop stuff going on, and it was just different. They kind of caught me, and all the songs in this upcoming full length is amazing. It just has a good flow to it. Um, you know I mean, it's just they're weird. All their songs are about oil. I had to ask them a couple times if it was about robots <laughs> <What>? or oil. <laughs> yeah, all their songs about oil. Interesting. The whole marketing campaign well, oil. <laughs> so I, I, you know, Mikey and I have overlapped. Our time at Punk News overlapped by several years, but we're all so remotely spread across the country that I never actually met him. But he seems like a good dude. We're Facebook friends. That's about it. But yeah, he used to play a couple other bands. I know one of his other bands used to tour with Flat Four Fifty Six, and he was in Junior Varsity All Stars, I believe. That's right. He did day. like a Kelp Punk. Yeah, he did like a Kelp Punk thing. The Killigans. Yeah, sort of the like yeah, 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 yeah. That was yeah, it. Yeah. And like to me, it's like so. This is like one of those bands that probably won't ever tour, but they're really fun, and I think a lot of people should hear them. And that's I think that's why I'm kind of involved with trying to make this happen. No, do they actually have anything out? Because I'm because I'm looking on Discogs and I can't find anything by these guys. Discogs, you got you mean you got to put that in yourself. Just make some stuff up. 
But they have a couple of releases out. They had an EP out, which they are not really proud of. But during COVID, they actually have been doing a lot of cover stuff. They did a Cars cover and a couple other stuff. But they're just trying to have fun. But this new full length is, I guess, taking them to another step, another level. Uh, you know what I mean? So. Okay. So this song's called what? It's AFAF. Is that what it's called? Yes. Okay. All right. There you go. So this is Thirst Things First with It's AF AF. I'm not trying to be a dick, man. I'm trying to be that guy that's trying to have enough oil for Saturday.
tell you what, guys, they might be friends of yours, but you should probably give them some hints on maybe changing the band name or something, because this, <laughs> this, <laughs> this shit doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, and neither does that name I'll of that song. I'll have to call you up. 20 bucks. 20 bucks, you'll give <laughs> yep, me a band name. Yep, I, I got a good band name for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the album is called, what's the album going to be called? Ro- Rollity or something? Yeah, it's got the oil in it, man. What the fuck? What is the deal? <laughs> I don't know. I had people ask me if it was a political thing or not, and I had to ask them. I was like, because I don't know anything about politics. I stay out of politics. I was like, oh, no, it's not. It's just about oil. And I was like, okay, it's about Robux, too? And they're like, I don't know. Like, uh, think about robots. Oh, I see. So it's not royalty. <laughs> it's, it's it's royalty. R-O-I-L-T-Y. So when is it, So are you, are you putting this album out or what? Yeah, that's the plan. You know, if they find something better, they should go for it. But uh, I would like to. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's going to be a 2020, 2022 release? Or? That we liked it to be. Uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's recorded. It's probably 90-some percent mixed. So it's not there yet. So the last song is almost like a demo version type stuff of it. But it's, you know, it's pretty good for quick quality for what it is. It's, you know, it's clean and it's, it's fun. It's fun, dancing. It almost reminds me of like a lot of that uh, Pacific Northwest, like early 2000s, almost like what was kind of happening after Murder Sea Devils type era, like dancing rock, like the gossip or whatever, and like, a bunch of other stuff like that. And what was that other <laughs> band that on Dirt Map that got signed to Fat Rack for a while? Uh, I don't know, whatever. I don't know. You, you, you just talked about 10 bands I've never heard of, so that was great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well done. Well, the reason. <laughs> The reason I the reason I'm not quite ready to be done with talking about the label yet is because you got a lot of stuff coming up. So I'm going to give you a minute to let's talk about some of the stuff you got coming oh, up. Man. You got some big, big cassettes, and you got some vinyl reissues, and you got a lot of reissue stuff coming back up. So let's let's take a minute for you to hype what you got coming out here. Oh, so we reissue the Huntington stuff. That was a long process because in the middle of pressing on vinyl, that's when the collapse of the vinyl industry happened due to COVID. So we just put out. So that's available uh, now, or you're still pre-order. That's you're waiting on that still. So get lost just came out finally. We did pre-order in April, which we placed the order. This is how it, it works. So we placed the order for get lost. We got our thing done the fifth of January, almost like a month, a year ago. Was it the fourth? Fourth? Sorry, I don't know if I read your dates, but uh, we placed it. And then we thought it was going to be done in April, so we did a pre-order because they said, "Oh," and then it got pushed back to. July, then it got pushed back to October. And then at that point, we're like, well, they're saying next summer. So it'll be next, this coming summer for Get Lost. Oh. We, know, we have copies of it right now. So we had, we ended up pulling it from the pressing plant and making new plates for it just to get it out. Hmm. So we made new plates for plastic surgery, which everything's here but the vinyl. So those we're expecting those in like a week or two. We're going to start shipping, but they come out in February. And then we have some other, we're doing like a set with them as well. And then we got some other releases coming out. We have Anti-Flag, Die for the Government. You know what I mean? We have that coming out on the cassette. We have Iggy Pop, I Want to Be Your Dog. Uh, so let's, have, so that, so that uh, Anti-Flag one, was that from like, from AF Records or was that, uh, was that on a beer label originally? No, that was on uh, New Red. New Red's eventually oh, sold. New Red okay. Yeah, they sold their catalog. You know, I think it was all the Reagan youth and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, so we were able to work out a deal with that. Um, I, I like old anti-flag. I remember these days, like, I remember going to see these guys in Iowa. And I don't know. Maybe it was Iowa. They were kind of look the same back then. I remember seeing them. I think I saw them in Pittsburgh once. I know my wife saw them in Pittsburgh. But, 
yeah, I mean, so it was a fun album. That's, very, a, that's, that's a good album. The first two were definitely yeah. the best albums. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, but, yeah, we're kind of excited to put it out, you know. Um, so that's how that kind of came about. Now, when you, when you do that, do you deal with a band or are you dealing with New Red, like the other label? So we deal with the administration who handles their publishing. And then eventually what happens is they have to get approval from everybody. You know what I mean? So once they get approval from everybody, in this incidence, we send them a cash advance for their money so that they have their money up front and done deal. God, it's so funny. You know, we're still dealing with, you know, when the punk rock scene, but we're still dealing with big business and record labels. And it just seems odd, doesn't it? Like yeah. the, that the band wouldn't <laughs> that, that the band wouldn't have ownership of their own shit. It just seems odd to me still in this yeah. day and age. But there yeah. you go. You mean, well, especially so like, with anything like runs a pretty a you know, a smaller right. punk label. They could put out their own stuff, but they, they get better but they keep getting like halfway decent deals. They got like I don't know if they're major label deals, but they're close. They yeah. have had major label deals. They put out a couple records for I don't remember who, but like Bright Lights of America was on a major. Yeah, they were on R C A for a couple of years. Um I don't know why you know this, but, uh, yeah, you know I mean? I think keep in mind, like it's hard for some of these label, these bands to run labels as well. Cause at one point AF records actually kind of disappeared and came back like almost like, I feel like 10 years later, like they literally were started AF because the first methadone's album was on AF records. And I can't remember what else was on there. And there was a bunch of Pittsburgh bands as well. Like one guy used to run smiling moose music venue and Pittsburgh. I can't remember his, ba- you know, his bands called, but there was some stuff on there, and they kind of, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to keep stuff in print. It's hard to mail order. It's hard to get the stuff in press. You eventually have to hire somebody. Or, you know, I mean, if you're a small label, or even if you're not big, you still have to eventually keep the thing's operation going. Most bands are going to be like, hey, what's up? You know? So, what? So, tell me about this Iggy and the Stooges thing. That's the other thing I'm fascinated by the, this Iggy and the Stooges cassette you got coming out. What is this? What is this thing? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> he's happy to talk about he's this one. Charlie Brown there. Good grief! <laughs> Tell the funny thing is, I this is, we're not even posting this, and well, we're not even announcing this until Friday. So you must have searched our website. I swear it's on your website right now, dude. Yeah, well, I just put it up like an hour ago. No. <laughs> so I can make sure there you go for this weekend. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was just yeah. a record that we had access to. We have access to a couple different other albums from the administration who controls it, and we were able. to Getting licensing from Mickey Pop, and we're thankful and blessed that always that you know, I mean, they were like, okay, and that's kind of how it happened. You know, what I mean, it was just able to work it out. You know, is that what you're looking for? The answer. <laughs> well, so so so, what is it? Is it live or what is it? No, there's some live songs on there, but mostly it's studio recordings. They're like almost like I don't want to say they're like demo quality, but they're way quality, better quality. It was actually out on a 12 inch mm-hmm. at one point. Um, it's a similar, like almost how Burger Records did. What was it? They did a seven-inch box set, and they did the, the first cassette of the Burger Records Fan Club cassette too. But uh, um, it's very similar quality. To that it's it's not live. I mean, it's if there's a live song, there's a lot, one or two songs on there that it's very almost like studio raw punk rock quality. You know. Mm. Um, cool. Yeah. And the okay. other thing I was the other thing that I was trying to get to before, but I never got to. So these have download codes in them. Do you have any idea? I mean, are these cassettes getting played? Do you have any idea how many people who buy them play them? Is it half? Well, is it less than half? Well, is it more than half? Do you have any the idea? Interesting. The interesting thing is the more and more people I know that buy vinyl, 
because they enjoy listening to vinyl. And I don't mean collectors. What I mean by collect people that collect is people that just buy every variant and just sits yeah. on their shelf. But the people that actually listen yeah. to vinyl, enjoy vinyl, and actually cherish it as a as a, a part of what they're into are actually yeah. the ones who are buying cassettes now. Um, really? As, as far as down low, you're not selling the same amount of vinyl as you are. You know, I mean, because vinyl is way more than cassettes, obviously. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. But uh, I feel like there's a whole thing there where people are just now the vinyl guys are you know people are just now buying cassettes you know what i mean i think it popped just, up a couple of years ago like five years ago as a very trendy thing to do very like yep. you know a lot of the hardcore and metal True. bands were putting stuff out on cassettes and it was a cheap thing but now i think people are enjoying the olympics the quality is a lot better than they used to be on cassettes i mean if you make it fun and collectible what i actually like to do is and I can't find somebody in the U.S. or Canada, for that matter. In the U.K., they actually have UV printing on the full cassette shell, and they print all over the cassette. So at that point, the cassette becomes a piece of art. So mm. even if you were one of those collectors who just buys every variant and don't actually listen to the music and just collects it and hoards it, you know, I mean, like a horrible person they are. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, you're, you know, you're trying to sell it, to these people, man. Come on, at least, at yeah, least I try. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I, but at that point, the the cassette shell, be, you know, is a piece of art, just like how back in the day booklets became a piece of the art, or like the full album became a piece of the art. So you I mean if you want to, some of these people could download the music, never listen to cassette, or listen a couple times and put the cassette on the wall. And I would love to eventually find somebody closer that does these full shell UV prints, you know? Um, hmm. It's it's just something I would like to do at some point. And it's, it, I mean, it's just not here as far well, as technology. Well, oh, well, you were, you were, you were, okay, but hold on a second. Let's roll that back a second. So you were saying the cassettes now are better quality than they used to be. What do yes. you, what do you mean by that? Because cassettes back in the day, I mean, they were, they were, a, they were never known as being particularly good quality because the things would snap and, um, and depending on you know, if you got a T, if you got a one twenty or something, it would be thin as fuck and that would snap all the time. The nineties were better, the sixties were even better, but oftentimes you couldn't fit an album on each side. So when you say that quality is better, what do you mean by that? And B, what what press is going on the cassette? Like, is it the original vinyl press? Is it the CD? Is it the CD master? What, like, what is actually being pressed onto the cassettes that you sell? Okay, so there's an interesting. So let's start with question B. Yep. So question B, there's a different type of mastering that goes involved with uh, cassettes, like there is vinyl. And I remember when, like, ten years ago, when we did our MSPX vinyl, we actually had what's his name from Descendants master. Not from the blasting room, but from uh, Armstrong recordings. And it, I mean, it was kind of weird because I think it was the first time he was actually mastering. I might be wrong. The first time he was actually mastering something for vinyl, he had like five different versions of it. And it's a whole different process that goes involved with mastering vinyl than it is to CD. Obviously, we know that now, 10 years later, when more people are involved with it or, you know, more people are in, interested in it. But as far as like cassettes go, you can actually have real-time hi-fi or you can do like the high speed. We do all of our cassettes at real-time hi-fi, which is actually twice the money, but they actually are duplicating it, as I understand, duplicating it at real time speed instead of just like mass producing. So when they do high speed, 
you know, I mean, you're going to have one for every 50 as it, with the air or, you know, a breakup involved within there. And then there's also as well, you I mean, there's different types of like tape you can use inside of it. You know what I mean? Like there's right. like, you know I mean? There's different ones that can be used in there. Um, Chrome. As far as things Chrome go. Metal oxide. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because you remember that, Neil. I mean, were you, I'm oh, sure yeah. at some point you had a dual cassette deck, right? Oh, yeah. Because I had a couple of them, and if you, yeah, you never got quite as good a quality if you did the high speed dub. Oh, I yeah, always did exactly that same right. thing, like I do yeah. the yep. tape to tape dub. Yep. So, all right. Yeah. Like, Listen, like the, Neil. Like do you have the, any more questions about the? Well, no, no. He's still. He's still. Because I think we got to let him talk about his other stuff. No, he still looks. Like, still, no, <laughs> we I think I have to go to bed at some point. Also, so I think right, you got any more questions just, about the label or not? Just, really? Wait, 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 wait. He was still talking about the cassettes. Go on. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Like, there's different, I there's different types of tapes uh what was the first part of your question again you asked something about spot well you know you just said about the, the better quality than they used to be i mean did, did like did like tape technology like improve or something <laughs> i think what, what happened was it, it improved because they're still using tape for a lot of stuff you're seeing with analog today again tape 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 you know what i mean <laughs> and I, I think like you know like the, like there's more consistency and it's more cleaner with a lot of things, like with analog, you know, I mean, a lot of people are going back into analog and going less digital with things. And it's almost like, you know, I mean, uh, it's so when you make vinyl, let's talk about vinyl because a lot of people know about vinyl. When you do an LP, you have a recommended time. When you go over those times, your grooves get smaller and smaller, and you'll find more things skipping in between records. So, like for an LP, they recommend 18 minutes. If you go over 22 minutes, guess what? You know, I mean, it's the same with seven inches. They recommend, I think, like five minutes. If you over, like, a lot of people are throwing like seven or eight minutes on there. And we have done the same thing too within our label. You, everything gets smaller in quality, you know, yeah. still different. But but the tape has changed a little bit. And I think it's more available than it used to with like, there's people throwing stuff out there with as far as like the decimals goes, like for things. And again, I'm not a mastering guy or anything. So I just kind of, you know, listen to what everybody else does. There's more like lo-fi. Like I would love to do more lo-fi. I love like the bands like King Generate, the Ripoffs. I love all that like garage '90s punk stuff. That to me, I would love to do lo-fi stuff with it. But you know, what I mean, I think that what happens is things are more consistent, more clear. Um, I, wherever they're sourcing stuff from, I just think it's a better quality than it used to be, and it sounds better. And then mm. when we talk to people that do mastering and rips those stuff. It's, I mean, I have heard you know a lot better feedback i guess this i mean i'm not an expert in any level i'm just dealing with it you know what i mean can you even buy, still buy cassette decks these i mean cassette players these days can you say online what? you can't go into best buy and buy one no hmm. you can't yeah. even you can't even go into best buy and buy a cd player you gotta do it online. i i try to go to best buy when our tv stopped working at, during covid and they wouldn't let me in i go talk <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's because they didn't like to look up anyway, man. <laughs> they, they're like, "Do you have an appointment?" And they're like, "No." And they're like, "I need a TV." And they're like, "Oh, come on in." One hundred percent of time. And then you go over Target. And Target was essential business, so they're like, "Oh, just browse around Target." <laughs> so because they have groceries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Should we play a Huntington yeah. song? Yeah. What do you Let's think? Let's do it. Come okay. On. So yeah, you were mentioned the Huntington. So we're gonna play. I think "Girls Gone Crazy" from Plastic Surgery. Correct. This is one of yours? Yep, it's a reissue that came out in the 90s. We remastered it. We did new artwork. So artwork wasn't available for this release. And uh, it'll be out soon. Cool. Okay. So this is The Huntingtons with Girls Gone Crazy.
crazy and you want to announce right because um the huntington's are playing in chicago in march i believe right yeah february 8th no, oh march Feb- sorry yeah it's march right? uh yeah march 18th friday they're playing with 500 miles of memphis 556 and evil empire reggie's good old reggie's and they're playing the rock club i assume not the uh not the not the small stage yeah the bigger room okay cool yeah i think i think tom I already bought every- tickets to that didn't you I did. I bought tickets for it. I hope I can get in. I, I absolutely intend to be there, but, you know, how, I might have to have 60 or 70 shots by the time Chicago lets me back into the <laughs> oh, yeah. bar. So I might be so True. far behind. I might be so far behind that I'll never get back into the city. I don't know. We'll see. But I fully intend to be there. Um, <coughs> well, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that by then. It's a great. Sh- I'm hoping that by then, Mer- Mer- Beetlejuice will have been. We had for 500 miles to Memphis on. Yep, we did. We did. Yeah. We actually, have a split. Probably, probably have some... we actually have a split with the Huntington's coming out. 
hopefully this year too. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, so but that's to come. Well, so I hope they have their vinyl by the time they tour in the spring, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll have get lost in plastic surgery. We're hoping spring probably not the new one because the new one's still not done. But we'll have new material from them. Oh no, no, I, I actually yeah that too. But definitely, I was actually referring to Five Hundred Miles of Memphis. But yeah, that. Oh too. yeah. Yeah, man. I can't wait for that. That's good. It's a good band. It's a great band. Yes. So so you make your living or you want actually you want to talk about the sweatshirts, Neil, or you want to talk about how he makes his living? I figure um, how I, would, I think he makes his living. I, I, I mean it is it's 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 super interesting, right? Because yeah, I mean we met Mike first of all through this through the um we had a we had a t shirts printed. By, somebody uh, recommend somebody recommended him, or yeah. how did you find him, Neil? It was it was um who was it that recommended Mike? Um, oh, it was the guy who did the caricatures for yeah. us. The other guy, right? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. His name is his name is uh, slipping Starts my mind. Aaron. 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 That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Aaron. Yeah. Good old Aaron. Yeah, he he recommended you guys, and so I mean, I'd I'd had a a previous run of T-shirts done by a company out in the suburbs, and uh, they were okay. They were nothing to write home about. And then, so I did my our first run of the gray t-shirts with you guys, and you guys did such a fantastic job. We just did the sweatshirts with you. And that's uh, that's your wife running that whole thing, right? It's on, on Point Press? Yeah. I mean, she's always worked for a promotional company, and she took it to the next step and just started working for herself and started doing that. And it's been going great. I'm kind of like labor hands and hired hands when it comes around. But, I mean, uh yeah, that's her business and it's doing great and, you know, still new and it's fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't speak highly enough of you guys. So if, if anybody in the Chicago land or anywhere really wants T-shirts done, I would look up On Point Press because they do a really, really high quality job. As anybody that's got any of our shirts knows, they, they, they're just spectacular. They're really, really good. We forget then. Why don't you – so so Sexy Baby is just – it's sexybabyrecords.com, right? Yeah. And then what's the on press? What's your is it is it on what's your on press if somebody's looking to get something done? It's makeitonpoint.com. There you go. Makeitonpoint.com. And w- you, you know, w- we, <laughs> And I think we've put a, a link to you, you guys on our on our Facebook page and stuff like that before cuz you know, I'm happy to help you guys out in any way you can. Um so I assume when you got band t-shirts, they make you make all the band t-shirts yourselves, right? Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between the two two businesses. So for, as far as me, I have to keep them separate. You know what I mean? So I don't get involved with a lot of the middle, like the business side of stuff. Because even like we make a lot of stuff for bands we license stuff from, or you know, products we have. But I mean, I also used to make shirts from another company, and you know, I mean, my wife, I made them through her, my wife's old company, and you know, I mean, I have a good friend out, you know, I mean, North Carolina, I used to do for 20 years and he's been helping us to get started and it's been great ever since. And it's been really busy and I'm, you know, I mean, I'm thankful. But like I said, like we make a lot of our own stuff within my wife's company as well. So. And, and it's not just t-shirts mm-hmm. and stuff like that, right? You also do pretty much anything, right? You do, you do yeah, badges she, and stickers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We, she does a lot of banners. We do this is being a polyester banner for uh, the Huntington's coming up. In March, um, we do vinyl banners. She does a lot of graphic design. She does websites. She does e-commerce, uh, embroidery. You know what I mean? So it's like a, she makes boxes. You can like even, you know, sub dye boxes if you want a customized box for something like a special limited edition thing or something. So there's a lot of stuff she does. She has access to and she's able to make. So we do mugs. 
don't yeah, know. Yeah, you do. You did some really nice ones for me. Um, so embroidery. Well, maybe we can get some uh, Dickies jackets made, Tom. What do you think? There we go. Yeah, that'll be good. The sky's, the sky's the limit. The sky's we, the we limit. So, our, so that's the second. Much like, much like the cassette things, I was going to say, our merch is very limited, and it sells very quickly usually. So. It does, actually. Yeah, yeah. the sweatshirts have all I've got. A, we got one left. Yeah, that that's it. Um, so as well as doing a, a record label and um, a screen printing business, you also, by, by trade, you're a barber, right? Yeah. Yep. Yes, yeah. sir. Plug your barbershop. Okay. So I'm, my, my, my barbershop now is Commonwealth Barbershop, commonwealthbarbershop.com. Um, we're located North Center, Ravenswood border, right there off of Lincoln, Link, Irving Damon. Um, I mean, we've been there for the last three years. Prior to that, we were uh, I had a shop on Damon, uh, literally a block away on the other side of CVS. Anybody knows that corner right there. And it was called Iron Hair Supply Company. And we used to sell... You know, it was a bigger shop. We had a side yard. We had parties in. We used to sell, uh, you know, Red Wings. We sold, you know, Fred Perry's. And it was a clothing shop as well as a barber shop. And there was a lot of stuff. Hmm. We had that for a couple of years, and we ended up selling that. But uh, that all came out of because we had a cosmetic company. We started maybe like 2015 called Iron Heritage, which, you know, we had like shampoos, conditioners, pomades, you know, lotion, hand sanitizer, beard oils. Uh, we had a lot of stuff. We've done collaborations with Chuck Reagan. Uh, we did a collaboration with Brian from Lucero. But, uh, mm. yeah, so that's kind of how that whole thing came about. So. And yeah. how did you end up How did you end up becoming a barber? I mean, that's like you get trained for that or did you sort of learn it on your own while you were yes. running, running well, your label and everything else? So I went to barber school – May 2002, I graduated 2004. I used to go every day. I was, at the time, I was laying carpet, actually. Laying carpet as I went to school in Peoria. And I was also touring a lot with a band called The Jet Set. Um, it was a garage punk band. They had like the drummer from uh, Knuckle Dragger. And then, you know, this, this, my other guy went on to a couple other bands from San Francisco and stuff. But, uh, you know, it was hard. Uh, I graduated school, worked in an old man shop for a while, got out of it. But the reason I went to barber school was literally because, like, I lived in a small town. I used to skip school, go hang out with my roommate who had the record store. And then I already go hang out at the tattoo shop where all my friends were. All my friends were at the time were, like, 15 years older than me. So, uh, you know, what I mean, and what happened was I had, you know, I didn't have any direction. I was working warehouses. You know I mean, I grew up in a small farm town where we used to tassel corn and, you know, pick cotton when we were done. And, and eventually you get paper out and then you go work in a factory. You know, we had Carhartt, we had Maytag, and then all those factories left. And, you know, I was looking for something to do. And the, next to the tattoo shop was in the same building was a barber shop. And uh, I used to get my hair cut there. And it's kind of interesting uh, growing up and being like a little punk kid in a farm town. You know what I mean, like a skateboard around town and. People in pickup trucks used to yell shit at you and pull over and beat you up. And, yep. And then Throw their PBRs at you. <laughs> yeah. Then you get a little older. You know, I, I got rid of the mohawk and, you know, did that stuff and started slicking back my hair and got more into the psychobilly stuff. And then it went from 
I don't know if I should say this stuff, but they're like, you know, they were yelling shit at you, and then we eventually start calling you Hey Elvis before they beat you up, you know? So, you know. <laughs> no. and, then, and then they started respecting you. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, the guy that ran the barbershop, he retired, and he gave me my first set of clippers, he gave me his old uh, barber, you know, tool chest, and I went to barber school, and, you know, he, he welcomed me in, you know, it was kind of nice, and, you know, I... Was between I was like floating, touring a lot, and floating around, coming to Chicago almost every other weekend, and coming back and traveling. I went to St. Louis, lived in St. Louis for nine months or so. Um, after I got up, after I moved, I barbered for a while. I, I did a lot of warehouse jobs up in the South Side and worked at a homeless shelter. Actually, maybe I worked in a home. I worked in a homeless shelter before I went to barber school. Maybe that's what I did between. Mm-hmm. Late nineties, I worked at something like that, or something. Like that. I worked at a homeless early two thousand. I worked at a homeless shelter. I was the guy that worked in the men's part overnight. Hmm. That was life changing. I think that's what got me into barbering. I would honestly think because like you would grow attachment to these people that came into the shelter. And every person had their own story. It was interesting because like it was a time before cell phones. Like I remember, this, you know, I used to have college professors who became alcoholics there. I just had assholes there. I just people that were like, you know, got divorced. And I remember this couple, you know, with their kids were traveling on 57 and uh, they broke down. They're like from Philly or something. And it was around Christmas, so they couldn't get their car fixed. So they literally got brought to the shelter. And the first few days, they were, I had to deal with the father down downstairs while the women and children were upstairs and everybody had curfews and they couldn't mingle besides during the day. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was interesting because after two or three days, this guy, you know, his father started cracking. You know, I mean, he started adapting, become part of like what was going on there. And you know, there was a lot of good people that were there. I mean, I mean, and there's a lot of people who just took advantage of the system and like really screwed people over, like in the middle of the night, like the, the toughest hours. I used to work from like 9 p.m. to 10 a.m. and I was the only guy that worked in the security and working the drop-in shelter. So I was like. Between two and four a.m. is like the toughest times because people start going to sleep. The TV on the TV is like slowly like become info info commercials is repeating, and you would have guys who would break in, go through other people's lockers, or start masturbating on top of the other people that were like res- you know who were residents there. And That's why I don't stay. That's why I don't stay at Neil's house anymore. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like like I had this old timer who came there one night. And he was sleeping under a bridge. And so after like 60 days or 90 days, you become like on part of like a a temporary ban list. And we used to have uh, social workers. You have three social workers every day in in the mornings. And they would help you find housing or help you find jobs. And the most you ever pay out is, you know, for finding housing. And it's the most. Not everybody paid very rarely. It was like $60 for a month. Hmm. And. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people didn't want help. A lot of people just didn't want help. But I had this old timer who was on the ban list, and he never caused a problem. And I remember he – I hadn't seen him for a few days, and he came in, and uh, you know, he was really cold. He came in the middle of the night, like maybe like 2, 2 or 3. He rang the bell outside, and uh, you know, and I let him in. And then like the next day, he didn't wake up. You know I mean, it was kind of like he oh, developed shit. these relationships, and you saw these people kind of come and go. And, yeah. I think that's where it kind of got me into barbering. Like that kind of direction, like, you know, kind of led to me that relationships with people. That's what I enjoy as a barber is relationships with people. You know, over years, I'm thankful and blessed to have a great clientele, but 
I like, I think like when you get invited to people like your clients weddings and, you know, they come in with a Christmas card or, like, you know, they just, they make you part of your story as you're part of their story. And I think that's the relationship. A lot of people, it's just not about making money. It's just not about like always just a haircut. You know, you can go to many different barbers, but it's actually the relationship I feel like, you know, so. Well, I was, there, I, I was there sad for, that I have no hair. Yeah. 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 Cause <laughs> I was there for the first time yesterday and, uh, it was it actually it was it was an awesome experience. I mean, I know Mike's on with us tonight, and I'm not blowing smoke up his ass, but it was a really awesome experience because I learned a lot about hair yesterday and hair products and stuff like that. That I've been getting my hair cut obviously for a long time, and just stuff I never knew before about the different gels and pomades and shit like that. And it was fascinating. So, if you're in Chicago and you need to get a haircut, go to Commonwealth Barbershop because because uh, Mike's awesome. So, there. Go for and go over to Sexy Baby Records and and peruse because he's got stuff he hasn't even announced yet that you can see on his website. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember, don't shampoo your hair every day, guys. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, you didn't say don't shampoo it every day, but but you should condition it every every day. Was yeah. that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Shampoo once or twice a week, condition every day, especially mm-hmm. if you have hard water. How about for someone who's bold like Tom? You should still moisturize it. Put some lotion on it. There you go, Tom. Moisturize that Your pH bounces. Your pH bounces four point five or five point five. My beard's pretty long at the moment. I had to give that some love, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of love. Yeah, get those so. eyelashes done too. Uh, eyebrows, I mean, get those eyebrows. Yeah, done. Uh, yeah. I got two separate eyebrows. I'm all right. <laughs> I mean, I, and that fucking hair up your nose. Get that trimmed too. God yeah. damn it, man. Ears, nose. All right. Uh, let's so let's play something by Stat Dad next. Who's Stat Dad? Tell us about that. So Stack Dad was a band that probably came out eight years ago that had Miguel from Teenage Ball Rocket and Clint, who used to do the merch and always be around with Teenage Ball Rocket. I'm not exactly sure if he travels a lot with Teenage Ball Rocket, but they started this band with some of their friends from uh, Wyoming, and it was a fun record they did at Blasting Room. I think it's one of the best like punk bands that came out of that era that like a lot of people don't know about, especially like other Teenage Ball Rocket fans, because you know, I mean, Teenage Ball Rocket you know Lillington's era and you know, I mean they're an amazing band and uh yeah that's it okay so this is Stat Dad with Sunday Night feeling going out tonight it's just the same as every night it's just a bunch of dicks I can't stand there's never any chicks and it's never any fun and we're listening to some god awful band I don't like shuffleboard I don't like cool most of all I don't like you it's never any fun but we never seem to learn someone Sunday night and it goes like a water breeze. 
stat-dad, stat-dad there with Sunday Night. Tom, have you ever heard of them before? Because I never I had. Not. No. Interesting. I'm not really that in touch with the Wyoming uh, music scene other than Teenage Bot Rock and the Little Kids, right? Oh, yeah. I got pulled over twice in Wyoming within five minutes driving. Why were you in Wyoming? <laughs> hold, hold on a second. I thought Wyoming was one of those was one of those states that has no speed limit. I don't know. We were we were in Tacoma and Seattle for like four months, and we were driving to Fort Collins for a wedding, driving back to Seattle area, then driving back to Chicago, and I got pulled over, pulled over for going five over the speed limit, and then I got pulled over by this old timer, and they asked us for IDs, and they threw me back at the squad car. And right before they pull me back there, like they saw my wife like pull out her ID, and they're like, "Oh, you're Yingli? Oh, what card is that? A Foy card?" And they're like, "They're like, what's a Foy card?" And they never heard of a Foy card. Hmm. So I got stuck in the back of the car in like a super air conditioning car while they talked about Yingling beer. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. I get, I get, I get nothing. Get a warning. Get down the road. About five minutes later, it's three lanes get merged into two, and a semi. The cop pulled off the meeting, you know, meeting going after somebody else, and then a semi cut off another semi in front of us. So we hard braked and poof, pulled us over. And of course, I'm like, oh, blah blah blah, I got pulled over five minutes ago. And he's like, I'm sitting back in the squad car again. So nice work. I know. Man, I think you... they were out and about because there was a fire or something going on in Colorado, like not, not right across the border. And that's like, you guys must have been. Them. You guys must have been moving because I'm looking. It says the speed limit's 80 in Wyoming, so you must have been fucking moving. Hey man, I mean it's probably not that. It's probably not 80. You know, like downtown. <laughs> well, I'm assuming he wasn't driving Laramie, through right? down. Hold on, can I can I even name a city in Wyoming? Isn't Laramie? Laramie, I guess that would be it, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, hey, Neil, I'll tell you what. Chicago's 55. Been... Everybody drives 80 now, so yeah. 80 is that mean higher 10? Yeah, true <laughs> enough. As bad as the European travel restrictions are, I might just go on a vacation to Wyoming next year. Who there knows? There you go. Yeah, well, we'll just watch you get pulled over, dude. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Apparently. Maybe. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. But I'll tell you what. I am uh, very much looking forward to meeting you, Mike. I assume you're going to make it to the show at Reggie's, the the Huntington's Flatfoot 500 Miles of Memphis show. You will be there, I assume, right? I hope so. Guy really doesn't take me out before then. <laughs> it's a long I say it's a long ways from the northern suburbs but you know what you must come out we must uh well are, are you are you promoting the show Mike are you helping to promote the thing are you putting it on I don't know I'm, I'm not putting it on okay. I'm just help trying to get people there no matter what I can do okay. um so, so do you, whatever it do you not promote shows anymore because I know you would you would that was a huge part of your life right you were promoting shows all the time in Chicago yeah yeah it was a huge part of my life and the tour booking but I don't do it anymore okay it's too much headache and I don't know any local bands and I don't know anything about local music or opening bands or who draws, who doesn't, you know, so I'm out of touch. Like I said, I just found out about Weezer Pinkerton album. So. <laughs> I think you're downplaying yourself somewhat there. I but, feel like you know. we have a lot of Chicago people kind of on the hook that we're going to be talking to in the next, next couple months here. So yeah, oh boy. I'm look, looking forward to it. Yeah. So anyway. Listen. What else? What else? What, do, we, do we have anything else for? Or are we going to let him go home and go to bed? We have it's one more. We, we have one more song, actually. Do we? Yeah, we do. This is, um, and it's by the supposedly the first punk band ever in Chicago. So um, tell us about this. Tell us about this. Neil or Mike, whichever one is the Chicago historian. Tell us about this. 
Go I mean, ahead, Neil. Take it away. Well, I, I know that they used to play. So the very first punk club was, I believe, it was an original gay club. And then we're going back to like the late 70s. It was called La Mer Viper, I believe. And That's it was a gay, gay sounding. Yep. And, and Tutu and the Pirates are one of the original, and I'm punk in inverted uh, commas, um, punk bands that came out of that scene. And this is pre-Effigies, pre-Naked Dragon, pre-all that shit. So this is stuff. like mid-70s or what? This is, no, this is like 70, 76, 77, 78. Like they would, okay. they would play at Tuts and, and things like that. So, Mike, how did you get involved with Tutu and the Pirates? So I really didn't know those guys prior to this, but like Hotless Messiah, uh, a lot of those guys, I know Tracy Trouble since she was in the time. I don't know if she's still in trouble in the band because I think they, they go through a couple singers throughout their whole career. And Hotless Messiah was an amazing, underrated band from like Berlin. But Richard, the bass player, used to play bass in Germ's band. And that's kind of how it all came about. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what kind of how it came about. They like, we have this record, we want to put it out. We need help with it and then we're like well we'll help and that's how it came the interesting part about this is well, i guess it's not interesting but a weird coincidence is actually a person i worked at shock with actually did their documentary with tutu the and the, did the whole chicago documentary they came out with, with the punk scene thing a long time ago yeah he went uh, there yeah yeah like she actually i worked with her and we didn't even know each other at the time but we eventually after we found out we're like oh what the hell we said pass each other every day in the hallway so, but going back to gay clubs too, like, I don't know if you ever remember, like the best paying clubs in Chicago were always the gay clubs. Like there's a, there used to be a, a bar up in Rogers Park, right there next to the taco place at like Clark and Devon, man, they would pay all these crappy punk bands to draw like 20 people. And they would get like, well, here's 500 bucks. And that was the place to go. It was just, I think that whole culture was always part of like the punk scene in chicago i think it's really great well know? actually all, all over the world like in like in london like back in the late yeah. 70s that's where the pistols would only play at like gay clubs that's at first De- you know? detroit famously too like all the the early scene like that early 80s hardcore scene with negative approach and meatman and all that it was like in the tenderloin district or whatever they it was in the gay area gay clubs yeah so if you're a band touring get those clubs you know there you go. so there you go Especially so this gas prices so this is so this is uh, <laughs> Chicago's own Tutu and the Pirates with uh, I guess this song's called Debbie 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 and her Prison Baby um, <laughs> from a split that you guys put out in 2013 I believe right so yep. so yeah Tutu and the Pirates here Debbie 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 just got out. Impregnated Every house on the edge 
So two twin the pirates are there you know, with Debbie, 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 and the prison baby. Um, and again, you know, you know, compared to what was to come with hardcore and stuff like that, you know, people wouldn't say they were punk rock these days by any means. But back in the late seventies, yeah, I mean that that passed for sure. Mm. So. Well, all right. So what have we what have we learned, Mike? What have we learned, Neil? We've learned that Mike is a very busy man. He is. I, I mean, I'm shocked that he could carve out this much time for us. I'm pretty sure he's got tapes to stuff or, or screens to print. So, <laughs> yes, he's got oh like yes, like four hands. He does. So yeah. yeah. So check out check out Sexy Baby, and if you need some t-shirts or sweatshirts, check out yeah. check out Sexy Baby Records. Don't go. Don't, don't just Google Sexy Babies. Whatever you do, yeah. please. <laughs> yeah, make sure you put the records on there. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna check out this Google search real quick. <laughs> <laughs> baby, I don't do that at work. I'm looking for sexy babies. But uh, yeah. Oh man, this is—you you should Google this. Yeah. It's okay. Like okay. 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 Pete Townsend. All right. Settle down. <laughs> it's, it's like Listen, uh, America's Got Talent dancing, baby. There you go. Hey, thanks so much for talking to us, especially when we, I didn't—you know—when I asked you originally, I didn't know that this was something that was wasn't necessarily, you know, that something that was a little out of your comfort zone. So we appreciate you doing it, and we appreciate your stories, and uh, I'm looking forward to meeting up with you here in a couple of months, hopefully. Yeah, no hopefully. worries. Uh, I started listening to podcasts when Aaron told me about it. Like, I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't, like I said, I don't listen to a lot of new music. I listen to the same bands over and over, but it's been really great. Um, well, good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's been really great. Can I say something without being weird? Sure, go ahead, man. Tom, I mean, we—I can't guarantee that it won't be weird, but you can say it. <laughs> this is my first time listening. To, my first thought when I listened to this podcast, and don't take this the wrong way, is I was like, I got this English guy over here talking about secular, which is amazing. I got Seth Rogen over here. You sound like <laughs> Seth Rogen. <laughs> you know, there you I go, Seth. His, I wish we got his contract. Yeah, right. Oh, you should. Oh. Yeah, I'll be good. Up once. <laughs> there you go. Don't take offense to it. No, it's all right. I, 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 don't, you I, I, I don't Are you, are you part of my tribe? It's, it's funny because I know of him, but I don't listen. I don't really know him that well. I mean, I know who he is. I don't have anything. I don't really have, I have sort of a neutral attitude about him. So I know the lefties hate him, so he must be doing something right. And I don't think a lot of righties like him either. So like I said, if, if both sides of the spectrum don't like you, you must be doing something right, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I know you said you don't get into politics. And we try not to on this show either, but. You know, if now of course I if I were Joe Rogan, if I were Joe Rogan, wouldn't I be smoking a big joint right now? Well, maybe yeah. you are, Tom. Maybe we just don't know. Nah, I don't I'm know doing... about how's that guy. I don't know anything about him. Is he worth listening to? Who's that? Joe Rogan. Oh, I have no idea. I just know they got like a quadrillion dollar contract. Oh, hold on a second. Hold, hold, hold on. Did we just make a mistake? Did you say Seth Rogan and not Joe Rogan? Yeah, he sounds like Seth Rogen. Oh, oh Seth you said Rogen. Seth Rogen. Oh, I think I, I think we thought you meant yeah, I, yeah we thought you I meant totally Joe Rogan. Wrong. I thought you were talking like Joe Rogan, like the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you sound like MMA. right now you sound like Seth Rogen. I'm like, oh yeah, I love your movies. Uh, <laughs> Seth Rogen's a big stoner. Seth Rogen's a big stoner too, isn't he? Yeah, that's what I am not. Yeah. I am not. So, I don't have anything against it. I'm I don't even know what Joe. I don't even know what Joe Rogan sounds like. So. Like Seth Rogen. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. The reason I said the reason the reason I don't know why my mind went there, but I know Joe Rogan's like a podcaster who. Yeah, I went there like, too. I went to Joe Rogan a as lot well. Of people up, and I, I guess I don't really listen to him. But I know his podcasts are like four hours long, and he's like uh, very, uh, you know, politically incorrect. So I thought it might be up your alley. I yeah. don't. know. It looks like Seth Rogan has a podcast called Storytime with Seth Rogan. Well, you know what? Well, right? I, <laughs> I used to. I used I mean, to. I, I definitely am more towards uh, Seth Rogan's physique. 
I used I used to like he's got a nice set of hair on him though, doesn't he? Yeah, man. I used to we like Seth Rogen a lot. I, I used to like him a lot because I love Freaks and Geeks. But when he turned on James yeah. Franco, he can go fuck himself because I think that sucks, man. You don't turn on your friends like that. That's that's fucking, that's low. I don't know anything about that. I just watch his movies. <laughs> just open a can of worms that he didn't anticipate. I know. <laughs> yeah, right? Fewer of, of our lack of understanding. And... <laughs> what, yeah. what happened to the This is the End movie? Like, I'm guessing that happened after it. I never saw it. I never saw it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he did that. He did that, and they and they did that one about North Korea together. They did a whole bunch of stuff. Oh yeah, but the but, it, but but as soon as as soon as a bunch of like uh, James Franco's students came out and said he had sex with them, uh, Seth Rogen's like, "Well, you're not my friend anymore." Let's see. Uh, Fuck off. Gotcha. He did the Danny yeah. Babbitt. Yep. He did the Danny Babbitt. All right. Listen. Okay. Thanks. Thanks again, Mike, and best of luck. And like I said, look forward to catching up with you in uh, a couple months. One more months. question. Yes. So, so yep, Neil, you went to school down in Champaign. I was I thinking did. about this while back. Yes. Do you ever listen to Naked Hippie? I, I, I'm aware of them, yes. They were like a big, big Bloomington area band. They were like kind of like our effigies and Naked Reagan down there. I was just curious. <laughs> well, I'm not... I'm not 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 exactly on the same level as the effigies of Naked Reagan, but okay. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But they were like a mid-central Illinois like band, I guess i say. Oh, yeah, I mean... I mean, he's trying was... to puff them up. He's going to put out their tape. I mean, yeah, yeah put there out you go. Tape, man. <laughs> I mean, there was yeah. there was there was blatant descent from down there too. Blatant descent were another one. Like from... Jeff, he used to work at Mother Murphy's, and he owns like North Street Records, I think, in Bloomington or something like that. So, well, I, when you said when you said you don't listen to new stuff, all you do is listen to old stuff. What old stuff are you talking about in particular, just out of interest? Oh my god, I don't know. The same five bands over and over. Well, go on. It's literally the same records over and over until I get burnt out on it. I don't know. I don't know. I like the Pagans. I love the Pagans from Cleveland. Oh, uh, I love Lucero. You know I mean, like, uh, I don't know. I just go through spurts of, like, here and there and just listen to it. It's all old stuff. It just... I mean, one of the newer bands I found out was the Menzingers, even though I used to have... Don't like, even talk about the Menzingers on this show. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was, like, my new band, I guess. No. You have to drop them immediately, I'm afraid. So, I'm paid by sponsorship by them. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> no. I don't know. I'm just saying that's, like... I don't know. I'm just getting old, I guess. I'm just looking, finding new stuff. So. Well, I tell you what, listen to our listen to our end of year three-hour episode, and that will give you a whole bunch of new bands to listen to. I know. It's fun. I know. See, that's why we do stuff like this and like why I kept writing for so long was because it is hard, man. Well, like I said, I'm pushing 50, Neil's pushing 60. It's like we're, uh, you know, in order to keep up with it's not easy to keep up with new stuff. So we have to definitely push ourselves. It costs us an yeah. arm and a leg. Yeah, it does. And I, I remember the last episode I was listening to you guys, like Neil didn't like the queer save the world artwork. That actually was not the original artwork that was supposed to be made, just so you know. Interesting. Yeah. Well, what happened? Yeah, the original, the, a lot of people were against it. They thought it could be offensive, so the artwork had to be changed. Oh, he, God damn it! Joe came on and told us. Joe told us off the record, off the air, what okay, the name of the record, the record was going to be. What the name of the record was going to be, and that was not it. Yeah. So, yeah, so. Joe's a really great guy. I love Joe to death. He's a very great guy. But yeah, yeah, he's a good dude. He's, you know what's funny is that last time I remember seeing him back in the day. He'd work his own merch table and stuff. I don't know if he's too big of a star now or what. Like you don't even see him until showtime. Like he just he just he suddenly appears on stage like a fucking genie, which is <laughs> great. At, which is great at Reggie's in the small room because there's no backstage. You have to come through the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I came through the kitchen. Yeah. 
But I must go to bed. I must go to bed. Thanks so much, Mike. It, it was a pleasure meeting you finally. And uh, like I said, I hope we can hang out soon. Okay. Hold on. Well, you, 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 you were going to ask a question. What was it going to be? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Don't let me cut you off. We can keep giving you. No, no, whatever. that's fine. I remember like you're talking about Susie's band, like you know Pat or Pat Patty. He used to be in River City Rebels. Patty Bo. Yeah, he used to be River City Rebels. I used to do tour bookings for those guys too, back in the day. Yeah. I don't know. I was just I just I listened to those podcasts recently. So, Great yeah. bass player. Great bass player. <laughs> yeah, he used to play guitar back in the day. I think. I think. I may be wrong. So oh. anyway, goodbye. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for coming thanks, on, man. Mike. Best luck Appreciate you, it. You too. Thank yep. you again. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Uh, keep a little mark in your heart and uh, stay free and say it, Tom. We'll smell you later. Smell you later. Bye, everybody.